Welcome to the B2B Podcast Stories brought to you by GHA Marketing. Our guest today is Paul Barnhurst. Paul is the founder of the FPNA Guy, providing world-class content and training for FPNA and finance professionals. Paul wore many hats as a thought leader, host, and entrepreneur. Today, Paul reveals how his adaptability, growth strategy, and meaningful collaborations propelled his podcast and career forward. So today, expect to learn how building a podcast is a long-term endeavor, especially a successful one, the strategies in expanding audience reach, leveraging social media for outreach, and the importance of building genuine relationships with your sponsors. We also dive into engaging topics like financial modeling, the use of LinkedIn, and the critical role of content quality and consistency. Before we begin, please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the show, and we're going to keep bringing you amazing podcast stories about all the different people and how they use their podcast to help their business. And with that, here's Paul. Paul, welcome to B2B Podcast Stories. Lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to get to chat with you guys for a few minutes. Yeah, it's going to be super cool. So, Paul, you're a, you're more than a micro-influencer. You're a full-time influencer. <laughs> I mean, you have, what, 80,000 LinkedIn followers? Yeah, around that. It's like 83 or something, I think. Probably be 85 by the time this comes out. (laughs) (laughs) You've got two huge podcasts in FP&A. So we're really in awe and you see you as an inspiration really for what podcasting and independent podcasters in corporate domains can really achieve. That's kind of what we're doing with CT101, with our Corporate Strategy 101 podcast. um, And this as well. We're we're also not a company like that's a treasury company. We're individuals really interested in the field with Half of us have a background in the field, and uh, we talk about those things. So you're really an inspiration for us. We're really excited about going into this with you. Thank you. I um, appreciate that. So tell us through your story about how the hell you started an FP&A podcast. <laughs> so what, how did that happen? Yeah, so the story goes back to a little bit of kind of how I started the business first, right? You generally don't see a lot of uh, FP&A content creators. It's growing. You see more today than you did a year ago, but you know, it's not something people think about. So for me, my journey really started, I'd say, seven years ago. I was looking for a job, and uh, I reached out to this guy by the name of Ken Fick, still friends with him to this day. And I sent him a note saying, hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time? I'll give you a Starbucks gift card. He responded with, I don't want your gift card. I want you to write an article for my website. First thought that went to my mind is I suck at writing, but okay, I guess I can do that. And so we met, and he was a consultant. He gave me some thoughts, and I wrote an article for his website. He liked it and he said, hey, I'll pay you a little bit if you write a couple more. So I did a few more, shared them on LinkedIn, started doing a few more things on LinkedIn. One of them did pretty well that I wrote about Excel. Got a lot of comments and kind of likes, at least what I thought was well at the time. You know, I don't remember how much it was, but that led to me starting to do a little bit more on LinkedIn as I'm looking for a job, trying to mostly just network, you know, no, no thought of a business or anything like that. I joined a group called FPNA Trends. They invited me some webinars, um, continued to build a following, helped run their group. And as I started to build, what the funny thing that happened is I started a blog about Excel. That really didn't go anywhere. didn't do a lot with it. And then over time, again, I'm looking for a job. And I'd reached out and I was interviewing with a couple of software vendors in the FPNA space, tool space. So I wrote about them on LinkedIn. And from that, all of a sudden, all these people started reaching out to me on LinkedIn saying, hey, will you demo my tool? Didn't realize we were at the beginning of everybody thinking they needed to start an FP&A software. Yeah. <laughs> and so they got all this, reach out to me and I'm like, 
I could probably do something with this. I should kind of double down on this. And at this point, the thought had entered my mind of starting a business, but not, you know, kind of seriously. I think I had one person reach out to me wanting to do a collaboration where it was educational content. I think they offered me $150. You know, nothing to write home about, but I'm all right, that's money. Too bad. So then so then what happened is a while after all this, as I continue to build, at this point I had a following of four thousand, three in, in about a month period, a friend reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to design an Excel course for me. I said, okay, yeah, I, I can do that. Another friend reached out to me and said, hey, this company I know is looking for some help 10 to 15 hours a week doing uh, FP&A. Okay. And then in one week, I had three conversations with software vendors. Two of them offered me a job or offered me to apply for a job. And the third wanted to do a big collaboration. So at that point, this was December, roughly December 21. And one of those three was a conversation around a podcast. So we'll come back to that a little later. But I went to my wife and I said, hey, I think I can turn this into a business. She kind of looked at me because we hadn't talked about it at all. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> kind of like, really? You know, and so we talked about it for about six weeks. And she said yes. And uh, the day she agreed to it is the day I put in my notice. Started the business a what few were you doing later. The time? I, I was working in FP&A basically for a cybersecurity company, a company called DigiCert. I'd been there a little less than a year was in a director role there at the time. And so, I mean, that's kind of the backstory of how I started the business. And I always thought it would be fun to do a podcast in there, you know, as part of the business. So I'd planned on doing that when I launched it. And what happened is one of the vendors that reached out to me goes, hey, we want to launch a podcast. We'd love for you to host it, but we want you to be an employee, a full-time employee. And I'm like, eh, I don't really want to be a full-time employee. I'll just launch my own. They came back a month later I'm not sure what happened in between and said, Hey, are you still interested in hosting it? You don't need to be an employee. We'd love to come up with a contract agreement. And that's how I got my first podcast and was sponsored from, you know, episode one. Super, super interesting. So what was the intention of the business when you started? Because you're saying that podcast was just meant to serve it. Was it just like content creation, demos? Yeah. Or... So I looked at it being probably three things, a little bit of training. Cause I'd done that Excel course with a friend and we were continuing to look at other training. So I'd say the three, three, uh, three C's, if you think about it, kind of training or coaching, consulting around FP&A, and then content creation. Within content creation, you know, working with the different vendors, whether it be a webinar, the podcast that I did, some kind of sponsored content on LinkedIn. So those were basically the three things I envisioned when I started. I envisioned it would probably be 30 to 50% consulting. Today, it's less than 5% consulting. No. So, and then the podcast really became the main content tool eventually as well, right? Yeah, it, it is de definitely that and LinkedIn are the content tools and the, the podcast is huge now, especially with having two of them. So what's, what's, what is it about podcasting that made it your main content tool? So why, why was the pod, why is it not, a lot of people just LinkedIn influencers, a lot of people do this, but you, you really honed in on podcasts. What did you see in the podcast? So oh, it the primary. I don't know that it's necessarily I saw something. I mean, I think it was, it always sounded fun to me. Like, hey, let's do a podcast. I loved the first episode, you know, and what I found is I was fortunate enough, you know, most people don't get a sponsor before they even recorded an episode, right? That's pretty rare to have a premier sponsor where we agreed to a two-year agreement. You know, that's a very, that's an amazing situation to come into. You know, very fortunate to have that. And so what that did is seeing that made me think, I love doing this. this is a lot of fun. I'd like to expand this area. I enjoy the podcast. I enjoy that more than writing and creating content. I love the interview process and 
getting to meet, meet people all over the world. So for me, it was a natural fit for what I like. I've always enjoyed presenting and it was a lot of fun. And so it made sense to me, how can I launch a second one? How can I continue to grow this? And the second thing it did is, you know, it helped me differentiate myself from a lot of the other finance creators, right? That I would say were better at creating content on LinkedIn than I was. It gave me kind of an area where most of them were going into because it is, it, it's difficult to have a successful podcast. Like I said, I've been very fortunate to have two. And so I felt like it was another area to differentiate myself, kind of like talking about all the software tools is I wanted areas that, you know, allowed me to do well and kind of have my own niche. Mm. Two questions from this poll. The first yep. one is how much time did it take you from okay, there is seem to be something here to be done on LinkedIn and blog posts and writing and designing courses. And the moment this company reached out to you. But the second one is also, why do you think that company immediately doubled down on the podcast format saying, hey, we're going to take somebody who was an influence in the field and just, then just lock him in a two years contract. Well, locking, I don't know if that's the term, but like propose him a two years contract, which is a pretty long period, as you say, we are not sure how a podcast will do before it reaches a certain amount of episodes. Like, why did that company double down on it? So what's the, what's the process between, okay, I'm starting to write blog posts and LinkedIn posts towards, I have a big time company coming to me, proposing me to do a podcast and for two years. Yeah. So, so what happened is when I hit about three, 4,000 followers, I started to have different FP&A companies reach out to me talking about different, you know, influencer marketing arrangements. And once I decided I wanted to start my own business, I knew I wanted a podcast. So I talked to a couple different vendors about it. Some others weren't so interested. This one came to me and they had had a new head of marketing. He had just come in and he felt that a podcast needed to be a core part of their offering going forward. That's why initially when we first discussed it, the conversation was, look, we want someone full-time. We don't want someone external because we view a podcast as a key part of our content and our growth strategy. And then I don't know what happened in between a month later when he came back. They, I guess, you know, they decided they didn't feel they had someone internally that made sense. And so they came back to me and said, hey, we would like you to do this. And to me, it made sense. You know, they, they own the podcast. I host it. But it's been, you know, they're really good to work with. It's been a great arrangement. And I think for them, they realized it would take some time. They wanted something long-term, right? Because if you look at a podcast... To a certain extent, the host is a big part of why people listen. Not the only reason. 100%. But, you know, if you have different hosts all the time, it's it's challenging. So I think for them, they looked at it and said, hey, we want this to be long-term. You know, and now I get asked all the time by the software vendors, hey, can we sponsor your podcast? No, it's an exclusive, right? So now that they've seen it grow and they hear about it all the time on LinkedIn, they they all want to be a part of it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so that company made that move because the new marketing manager arrived as part yeah, of the yep. content strategy. Yep. Exactly. A huge part of their content strategy. I mean, you know, right. They put the full transcript, they do a blog, it's out on their, their web. It's a big part of their overall content out there. And what's the, I mean, I guess there is what, what's the business benefit of it? Because content strategy, a huge believer into it. We have to podcast ourselves. But company doubling down on this, do they have any business intentions behind this podcast as well? Or is it purely content strategy? Well, I mean, I, I think from the business intention, right, we do an ad in every single episode. And so okay. you think of an FP&A platform, right? They all cost a different amount, but something in the small mid-market 
is going to be anywhere between fifteen and thirty thousand a year. You don't need to get very many customers to get your money back. And getting your name out there constantly, right? If I have, you know, say three thousand people, twenty five hundred, whatever the number is, every thirty days listening to episodes, and that's going to rotate. You know, it's not always the same people. So just say five thousand different people listen in a month. Mm -hmm. You you don't need many to show interest in the tool to get a return. Nice. Okay, so let's say the financial side as well, not just content, but I think they looked at it and said it, it should really help with brand awareness. And the more brand awareness you get, ultimately, the more customers you typically get as long as you have a good product, right? As long as you have a solid brand. Yeah. Can we, can we say the name of the podcast, Paul? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah. Like uh, FBNA Today. FBNA Today is sponsored by DataRails. Okay. Amazing. And so a bit of a tricky question here. How much do you think... Um, your influencer role played into the success of this podcast or the other way around, how much does the, just the company strategy, because that's very, I imagine in FPNA at the time, that was very innovative to just go and double down on the podcast. What's the success criteria and what guided the whole, you know, success of the podcast overall? Yeah. So I think definitely the podcast is more successful by having them from day one than if I'd done it on my own couple things. Nice. They went out and hired a professional audio team. I'm not sure I would have been able to do that. So we have a fabulous audio and video team out of the UK. You know, two, they invested in a lot of promotional clips and they pushed it through their newsletter group. And they have someone on their marketing side that you know spends quite a bit of time helping with the podcast. So it was definitely a collaborative effort. And you know, I wouldn't have been as successful doing it on my own. Today, if I started one on my own, yes, do I think I could be successful? I did that with my second podcast. Yeah, you know, yes, I had a sponsor, but it was a different arrangement. So yeah, you know, I feel much more comfortable now. But it was definitely a joint thing. I'm they've been a fabulous partner, great to work with. And I've been really lucky that I had that from day one. Because one, I made sure we had a high quality audio, high quality video. You know, we had someone that could help promote it in addition to me. And all those things made a difference. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, well, it's about the host for sure, as you highlighted, but in order to make a su successful podcast, sorry, you need to have the right intentions behind it. You need to have the right long-term strategy behind it. You need to have the right editing team behind it, whether it's audio or video or both. You need to have the right promotion behind it, and then you can call it a success. And still, yet yeah, it takes a bit of time because I guess episode one, although you loved it, uh, didn't probably pierced the threshold of multiple thousands uh, of those. No, it didn't. It didn't do you know, very well that first week compared to now. And I wasn't a very good host. Let's be honest. I've got a lot okay. better, right? You know, it takes, it takes some practice. So. so talk to us about that. What does it take to be a good host in your opinion? And what, what was that journey for you? Like if you reflect on episode one, Paul, uh, what was he doing wrong that you were not doing today? And what, how did you get from there to here? Yeah. So I think, you know, probably the biggest thing for me was getting more comfortable in how to ask questions, how to follow up, how to restate things. I used a lot of the same words over and over. Kind of, I remember ending a little early on some things as they were saying bye, just trying to finish it all up, you know, things that I wasn't polished around. So I don't know that there was necessarily a turning point where all of a sudden, hey, I feel like I'm doing better. I just think I progressed over time and got more comfortable. 
So I think there's a couple things, and obviously it depends on the format of a podcast, but you guys would know this. I think one, you got to be able to make whoever you're talking to comfortable. Two, you have to be able to carry that conversation and be able to know when to dig in on something that might be interesting for your audience. And I think that is, that's a practice skill. I don't think for most people that comes naturally. And so I think those are a few things. And then over time, you're also, as you grow a podcast, it's easier to find guests and you're often able to get, you know, guests that have a bigger name associated with them, right? Like nowadays, I occasionally get people reaching out to me saying, hey, we'd like to have your CFO on the show. Yeah, I would have never got that when I started. But now that people know, okay, that's, you know, this is the premier FP&A podcast out there and that's our target audience, then they'll reach out to you wanting to be on the show. That's super interesting. So on each of those, we could go deeper. So <laughs> this, I especially liked your um, one where you said, it's kind of like you said, you need to be comfortable with silence. So a good mutual friend, Mike Richards, has a, a line that I remember when we first started doing podcasts with him a year and a half ago, he said, he's like, ask your question and shut up. <laughs> That's how Mike would say it too. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's great advice. And like, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit brash in how he says it, but it is true. Like, you know, you are almost uncomfortable with the silence at the start and you're kind of like trying to, ah, oh, I need to say this, I need to say that. And how do I make comfortable? How do I have more context? How do I keep, you know, I ask the question, then I say 10 other things to make sure that they understand. But then when you listen back to it, you're like, no, understood. And even if the guest takes another direction, it's a direction that a, the guest wants to go. So we had uh, Yvette Bohannon from Glenbrook Partner on last week on the show. And uh, what she said was the guest is the driver and the host is the guide. And that's what makes a great podcast. So you really go down with the guest because you want them to be engaged and interested in what they're talking about. And as a host, your job is to sort of guide the conversation into, like you said there, what's interesting to the audience. But my question on that is, how did you learn what an audience is interested in? Did you listen back to your podcast? Did you ask your audience? How do you, because you said it doesn't come naturally. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, I did listen back early on because we did a lot of CPA credit. I do you know, monitor closely and see which episodes have done better. So there's a few things I found that the audience really liked. One, we do a quarterly, what we call a LinkedIn Live roundtable discussion that we turn into a podcast episode. And I found that's done really well because that allows people to not openly chat with me, but they can put comments in. So it's two-way in the sense that I can see those comments and respond to them live and have a panel discussion going on. First one I did was really hard as you're trying to, okay, look at the comments, manage three people, and you know, make it all go smooth. Now I I really enjoy them. They're a lot of fun. So that's one thing I did that I found the audience love. Two, you know, having been in FPA, talking to people on LinkedIn, you see what's important. You see what people are interested in. And you know certain episodes and certain content I now know will do well. You know, they love when they get a CFO that really talks about, okay, how can I advance my career? Right? Everybody wants to advance their career or excel conversations around Excel, financial modeling, some of those things do well. So over time, you start to you know, learn what people want to hear. But beyond that, I think, is what learning how to, when to dig down and how to you know, carry that conversation with the guests. Sometimes I felt, especially early on, I would talk too much because I try to recap each question. It's finding that right balance. I still feel like, as I listen to them, that I talk too much sometimes. 
I don't listen to them as often anymore because I've now paid a third party to prepare the CPE credit, the questions and stuff. That's what I used to have to re-listen to them is to prepare all that. Sometimes I just cringe as I was listening to it going, oh man, that was ter <laughs> terrible right there. So you mentioned that you know what topics, so we and Gil have this conversation a lot as we're like looking at the content we're creating, we're like, okay, what snips are we pulling out? Uh, what's the script that we're going to write? Is this one going to hit? Is this one not going to hit? And we're almost always like, how did that thing blow up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have that as well. So definitely times when I'm like, wait, why did that one do so well? <laughs> or why did this one bomb? I thought it was an awesome episode. 100%, right. exactly. And there is, but I really liked what you said there. And I want to ask you a bit of a difficult question on this. You said there, like, sometimes you know, okay, Everyone wants to know how to do well in the financial career. Everyone knows Excel is good. Uh, everyone wants to learn more about Excel. And these things do well. How much of your content are you making for the reactions? And how much are you making because it's an interesting conversation? So I guess the, the spirit of the question I'm trying to ask is, how do you stay away from just trying becoming too clickbaity? Because you know that that's always going to do well. Yeah. I, so I deliberately make an effort, whether it's LinkedIn We'll talk there for a minute. We'll go podcast to try to make sure I'm providing quality content. There are the occasional times when I go clickbait. I, I will admit it. Or there are certain things I post where they're designed just to get as many followers as I can. You know, I, I'm very careful in how I do that, but it's I try to be strategic. Like there are posts where I've done a post where it was designed to get a couple vendors to sign up for something I was doing. And it did that. I didn't get a lot of views but they got the vendors to come to me. And there are other times where it's been like, okay, I know this will do really well, or this will be controversial. You know, with the podcast, really, I focus on more than, hey, this is what I think will do really well, to have a wide range of guests. Like we got one coming up where we're talking about shared services. You know, that's a deep subject. That will probably not do as well as other podcasts, but there are people who need that and need to hear it within FP&A. So I try to find that, you know, balance between getting a big name. Like recently I was fortunate enough and it'll be released here in a few weeks to get a former CFO of Oracle, right? That was really for me, okay, whatever we wanted to talk about was fine. That's just a big <laughs> name that I wanted to, to share. And he was a fabulous interview, great guy, you know, picked a subject that was really relevant, but that was more about the name or I was fortunate enough to get a guy who was the first finance hire at Netflix. And the CFO of, you know, Firefox. So I let him, he ran that conversation. Yes, I came up with some questions, but it's like, what do you want to talk about? What do you think is important to the audience? So the I think, interesting one here. You know, there's a gauge where if it's a LinkedIn live, I very much pick subjects that I think a lot of people sign up for and will get engagement and then go find guests that match that. And so it's a mix. I think you guys would probably experience the same thing, right? There's sometimes where it's more about the guest than the subject. And sometimes it's more about the subject than the guest per se. So we can really relate to this, Paul. As a matter of fact, we did an episode on shared services in Treasury. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do as well as the yes. But it did. It was interesting. People, yeah, it was very interesting. Well. Yeah, I, I, the guest I had was fabulous. I mean, I mm. I thought it was interesting, but right, it's a it's a deep subject. It's not for exactly. everybody. So do you know what those, off the top of your head, what are those things that you need to keep mixing in. So you mentioned a couple, you need to have the ones that are just the big names, just to get, grow the audience, 
get the word out, they just kind of launch. They're like little spikes for your podcast to get some traction across Pollinate or co- ride the coattails a little bit of, of the big names. Um, then you have the ones that are like, oh, this is just a deep, interesting subject to show that we have depth in our conversation. Then there's the ones that are like, oh, these are, this is a hitting topic. It's always going to do well. Let's wrap that in as well. So that's three that you're kind of rotating around. Do you have others that you rotate in? I mean, we try to mix up the audience, not so much subject, but yeah, trying to make sure we have diversity of guests. So we've had everything from, we did a college intern one, where how do you get an internship? You know, all the way up to bringing in a C- CEO a couple times, how do they think about FP&A? So we, we, you know, my sponsor is really big on being diverse, not just seniority, but also, you know, trying to have diversity in thought, diversity in, in race and gender and all those different things. So, you know, that's another part I throw in there of trying to think, okay, when I'm doing a LinkedIn Live, how do I make sure I got a diverse audience here? And it, it can be a challenge because finance, as you guys know, is heavily male-dominated. I mean, just call it like it is. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but what I've generally found is men are much more willing to come on a podcast than female guests. And I see both of you nodding your head, so you know what I'm talking about. Hey, y'all. And so that that's kind of the other thing we try to manage. And that's because we feel like that's that's good for the audience. That's good for the profession, regardless of, you know, hey, does this episode do better because it has, you know, somebody that's this or that. It's more, okay, I want someone who's good, but I want to bring diversity so people can realize anyone can be in finance, right? It's not just about, I, I'm even hesitant to say this, right? Filling a quota. It's not that it's not the goal. It's trying to make sure people realize that anyone can be in finance and so there should be a diverse audience out there. So that's always a challenge. One of the things I try to, you know, manage and all that. But as far as, you know, guests, for me, more than anything, I focus on who do I think would be interesting. Then I figure out what the subject's gonna be. For me, most of the time when I'm going out and getting somebody, you know, occasionally I'm looking to try to get that big name. And occasionally I'm looking for a specific subject. Either the sponsor said, Hey, we want this subject. Or I've thought it will do really well. But outside that, most of the time, it's just always keeping my eyes open. Who would be interesting? Who could you know, be a good conversation? And if I think they can be a good conversation, even if they're not well-known, or even if I don't think the episode may do great, I'll bring them on because I think at the end of the day, if it's good content, it will win out over the long run. Yeah. And I think well, the, the intention is not to get political, of course, but we've also noticed, just in terms of numbers, like the benefits of it, Obviously, our listenership is male-dominated as well because probably the nature of the industry, right? But when we manage to get, and as you said, the priority is having a good guest and have having a nice conversation. When we have that with uh, women, for instance, the number of reaction and engagements from women on the social media is much higher. The listenership of women is much higher. So you also just bump your numbers because you get somebody that is not well seen in the space, usually not well seen in the space to come on your show. And then there is all these people engaging. So it's like, just for the business perspective, it's a direct benefit. How do you mix that with, because I think you mentioned on LinkedIn, it was a panel discussion. So do you have lots of those? Do you see a big difference in, okay, if we get the big guests on the show, they will share on their social media and there will be this and that consequences. If we get three big guests on the show at the same time, it can like, does it compound? Does it even out, how does it work when you have multiple yeah, guests at the same time? Generally, when I'm doing multiple guests around table, I'm not necessarily looking for big names for those. I mean, it may be nice to have one. I'm looking for people that can bring good, 
deep content on the subject. When I'm looking for uh, you know, big name guests, I usually will kind of have those by themselves because I feel like I want to give them that spotlight. And so for me, when I'm doing the LinkedIn Lives, I'm usually trying to figure pick a subject that I think is hot and then find some people that I think will be good. Like we did one recently on the rise of AI, right? And I had, I don't know, 1,800 people sign up. I think we had two or 300 attend, but I think 1,800 people signed up for it on LinkedIn. I did one on Excel. Over 2,000 people signed up on LinkedIn. We had three Excel MVPs, right? So kind of big name, you know. I did on my other podcast, so I have the two, the FPNA Today, but, you know, Financial Modelers Corner, you know, we did one where we did have, I would call them big name guests for the panel discussion, but that was because they really knew the area and had been recommended and, you know, worked out really well. So generally when I'm doing a LinkedIn Live, for me, it's more about that subject matter expert than the size of their following, because what I find is the subject, if we choose the right subjects, people will come. Like budgeting and forecasting. We've done that twice now. We do that as an annual where we, we discuss that. So the LinkedIn Lives are really more hot button subjects, not hey, I need to get the CFO of American Express on my show, right? Or whatever. Not that I could, but you know, if I could. If he's listening to us right now, don't hesitate to reach out to Paul Vanders. <laughs> I didn't work for American that. Express. He just <laughs> the one I knew just retired. I just saw that the other day. but So that he has time now. So that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I just got to get his email. and. Do you have a pre-podcast ritual, Paul? How do you get yourself to that spot where you are prepped to have those kind of discussions in the way that you said so with each of my podcasts i will review the guest you know i'll go out on linkedin there sometimes i'll read an article if something's available i come up with a set of questions because the sponsor reviews them all so we do do questions ahead of time okay. and you know the one thing i always do one of the rituals I have is i always stand for a podcast i find that helps me focus easier the voice projects better it just works for me so if I'm doing a webinar, a LinkedIn Live, a podcast, 99% of the time, I'll stand for that. But beyond that, I don't have like, there's not something I do ahead of time you know, outside of making sure I have some water. If I have a couple minutes, just try to get myself calm. But beyond that, I don't have a set ritual. What about you guys? <laughs> no. You always forget it. To get everything sorted, is the light good? Is that the microphone yes, walking? That, that's a ritual, that's making the... sure my lights are right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, just uh, the water is the main thing. Yeah. Uh, go to the bathroom beforehand, so you know, yes. first thing in between. <laughs> and make sure you drink some water. And, Big time uh, advice here. Yeah, and then uh, review over the script beforehand. We have See, the script, about... water, lights, bathroom. I think Correct. those four probably cover it. <laughs> the base that's a podcast hosting 101 that's uh everyone we could virtual. put that in a course yeah exactly we could, could, <laughs> let's make a course together <laughs> but then no i have heard of podcasters they always go for a walk beforehand because it clears their head um i've heard podcasters say that there's certain uh amount of coffee that they will or will not drink beforehand because of that, how sensitive they are to it um all of these different things as well do you have a time of day that you prefer to podcast i, I prefer morning afternoon would be second i don't like doing them in the evening i've done a few i try to avoid evening if i can makes a lot of sense so for the audience paul is recording right now at 4 30 a.m so it's like <laughs> definitely very that's not even morning not kidding here it's night basically <laughs> come on it's it's almost 5 30 now <laughs> yeah, that's true that's true i've been speaking of 
Paul, what happens, just to, to maybe finish off on the FP&A today, what happens after two years? Like, you have a two years contract, is the intention, was it a one-time project, if we can call it that way, because it's a two years project, so I'm not sure we can call it a one-time, but like, is the strategy, is the podcast strategy of uh, Data Rails a two years thing, or is it a much longer thing? Yeah, I would assume they want to go longer than that. We haven't had any discussions mm. You know, so we'll, we'll cross that bridge as we get there with them mm. and see how it goes. But I'm sure given the success it has, I know they've, they have, it's done much better than they expected. They, they've been extremely happy with the results. I see no reason why they wouldn't want to continue it. I think it's been, you know, it's been good for them and, you know, and obviously it's been very good for me. So even if they, let's just say they told me, hey, we don't want to continue to do it. It doesn't make sense. I would continue to do it. And figure out how that works because it's been good for me. I enjoy doing it, and people look forward to it. I get emails all the time from people telling me, "Hey, I, you helped me with this or that. Your guest gave me an idea," and that's really rewarding when you know people are actually using it to do a better job at their yeah. job. Because that that's the ideal. You want to help people. Super cool. Tell us about the second podcast, Paul. So, uh, Data Rails and FPNA today—they kind of came to you. You learned how to become a podcast host and you had that whole personal journey with that. And the second time around, if I remember right, you were the one that kind of wanted to do that and you did the approaching to figure out how can I get the sponsor beforehand as well. So take us through that story about how that happened. Yeah. So as FP&A today was starting to grow bigger and bigger, I'm like, you know, it'd be really fun to do a second podcast. I really love doing this, but I'd like to have a sponsor. Obviously, it's always nice to get paid if you're running a business. And so... As I looked at it, I looked at it and said, okay, I can't have a podcast that would have sponsors that are competing against, you know, my, my primary podcast. They're not going to be too happy about that. So then just and wrote. so I was like, all right, so that eliminates having another kind of anything with FP&A where they'd be sponsors. And so I started thinking about <laughs> it knowing, you know, financial modeling is another area I really enjoy. I think it has a bigger audience than just FP&A because you got the investment banking, you got accountants, so many different people that build models, it's like, that'd be a really good one. And then I start thinking, okay, well, who could I get to sponsor that that wouldn't be at all in, you know, a competitor in any way? And so there were a couple programs that came to mind and I you know, pitched the ideas to them and both of them came back expressing some interest. And of the two, there was one, I had, I'd met him before we had had dinner in Toronto. This was the head of FMI, Financial Modeling Institute in Schnorr. And I felt like I had a good relationship with them. They'd be great to work with. He expressed interest. So I continued to pursue that one. And we ended up coming to an agreement on what the show would look like. And so we launched that in June of this year. You know, we've done, done 11 episodes. We did one pod swap that we have in there as kind of a special episode, but we've recorded and released 11 and, you know, it's doing really well. We, uh, we're hitting about 2000 downloads, 30 days out. The show is growing and I really enjoy That's doing it. We've had some great guests. We brought on the two-time world champion in financial modeling. How many knew there was a world champion? So I saw your post on LinkedIn back then, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't know before that. That's for sure. He's known as the Michael Jordan of modeling. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he as like, like focused and psychotic? About it, like because Michael Jordan does uh, it pull out the tongue when he's, he's great, like super focused. If you've watched, I've never uh, seen him stick out his tongue during an event. Ah. <laughs> um, 
he definitely gets very very focused he's he was a fun interview he would he He's a, he's a character, super smart guy, you know, PhD in computer science. He nice. and what was really interesting, something he said that I think is fascinating that I didn't expect. I asked him, you know, how much has being a world champion, being recognized as that, you know, being able to put that out there helped your business? And he goes, actually, getting better at Excel has helped my business a lot more than being a world champion. He's like, because spending all this time on modeling has made me very good at modeling and has allowed me to be an expert. And that's helped me more than any recognition I've got from you know, the community for being you know, a world champion. Interesting. It's very interesting indeed. And so, because I, I think what you did there, is, we haven't seen it happen like that very often in our, you know, JHM Marketing and all the different podcasts we've worked with. Uh, most of ours are company-backed already, yep. of course, as companies coming to us wanting to start podcasts because of all the reasons you listed out there. But then, like, an independent business or independent creator like yourself going out and finding a whole a sponsor for a podcast that doesn't even exist. Like, how do you do that? How do you, how, how, how does that, how does that work? I mean, I'm guessing a big part of it is that you had data rails, of course, and you had the FP&E today and the success was quite evident there. You have a huge LinkedIn following. Is it just those two or did you have to did you sell? Well, did your sales pitch include something that other people could replicate? That's my question. That that's a good question. I think for me, obviously, the following was a big part of it. Having been successful in a show, and then the other thing, and what I'd recommend for people wanting to do it is, I made sure they knew it was a real relationship. This wasn't just a transaction. Like I'll, I'll give an example, going back to Data Rails for a second, and then we'll talk about Financial Modelers Corner. You know, with Data Rails, it's got to the point where I post it, I post it on my website. It goes out on Twitter, goes out on Instagram, you know, goes out on my LinkedIn profile. We have an FPA Today show page we've created. And I'm often almost posting something daily about prior episodes. And so there's a real relationship there. We'll have conversations back and forth a lot about what we should do for an episode. And so when I approach Financial Modelers Corner, I approach it as look, this should be a real collaboration. This is not a transaction. I'm looking for a long term sponsor. And I believe in what you guys are doing. And so there's they're getting a lot more than a typical, if you're doing a marketing arrangement, they get their 60-second spot, you get your cash, you move on, right? Mm -hmm. That's the typical transaction, Correct. or 30 or 40-second. And you hope they get some, some guests, but you're not really focused on a relationship of helping them grow. You know, I believe in what the Financial Modeling Institute is doing. One of the things I agreed to do, which got to get done here soon, but that's another story, is I agreed to take their test to get the advanced modeling certificate, right? I, I tell people they should take it because I believe in what the organization is doing. So that makes it a natural fit. And what I've done with them is I created a show page for Financial Modelers Corner on LinkedIn. And I now post something, usually five days a week on that, in addition to my LinkedIn page around financial modeling and I've grown that to 6,000 followers now and you know in the five months and so it's grown pretty big and so it's really they're getting more than just a transaction and I think that's really important especially if you're going to approach someone and you want to get them to be a sponsor you need to help them see one this is someone I want behind my brand like they believed in what I was doing he had been on my show of FP&A today we'd had conversations we developed a relationship and he knew I had a brand that was trusted in finance. And so that was a big part of it. And so it was really a relationship 
data-driven agreement than a transactional agreement. How did you solve the problem, quote-unquote, for the people listening uh, only without the video of the FPNA today was the company was believing in it from the, from the get-go. They got the right audio editing team, the video editing team, people that will get out snips, that will make com uh, communication promotions and so on. How did you solve that technical and logistic aspects for financial model or cover? So what I did is I used the same company right. that we use with FPNA today. So I'd have the same. I already knew they were good with the audio and video. I had talked to some others and considered one other that had a good relationship with. I provided the earmark certification from day one. And so you know, I told him, I look, we want this to be a professional podcast. And what we agreed to is, you know, that there would be also a promo code for all of my audience. So I can, you know, I can sell the test and the fundamentals and the training beyond just the podcast. But we really focused on if we want this to be successful, it needs to be professional from day one. I have a good team behind me. We'll continue to use them. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, what's the, what's the future of podcasting in FPN? Are you going to start a third show with, um, I don't know, <laughs> investment banking corner or what's the, <laughs> what's you your know, idea behind it? I, right now, I don't have a plan to start a third one. I've thought of fun area and I've toyed with it, but I would like a co-host if I decided to do it. And two, I'm just not sure I have the bandwidth is AI. I think bringing on guests and just having a show focused on finance and AI would be fascinating. At the moment, my focus is more around, I've just launched a soft launch. I'm getting ready to launch a full planning community. With that planning community, I'll do brief podcast episodes, 5, 10, 15 minutes of members each week. But that will be just cool. within the community. That won't be a general podcast I'll put out on Spotify or Apple. But that's just something I'm doing for this paid community at launch. So... No current plans to launch a third podcast. I like to sleep at night. But <laughs> if, I, if I cut some other things out, I would consider maybe AI and finance would be fun to do. Interesting. Oh, I think one of the things that I think is quite evident to most people, I, I think is quite evident to most people, um, is just how strong your LinkedIn is and perhaps the dynamic between your LinkedIn and your podcast. And that's quite interesting. I think one thing that's amazing about you is you have absolute clarity in your business model, almost. In that, you know that my LinkedIn enables my podcast, my podcast enables my LinkedIn. I use them synergistically. I don't bother with TikTok and, and these kind of things just now. I'm really like doubling down on this because it's working and you obviously know how to do it. Um, Explain that to us. How how do those two things like interact with each other? And is there any reason why LinkedIn is the platform of choice for your podcast? Yeah, I mean, really, it's the platform of choice because it's the one I started on. I never, I never started out to be an influencer or a content creator. It really, just kind of fell into my lap. If I'm honest, you know, I found I kind of enjoyed it. It was really about building a network and finding a job, and I ended up finding a job working for myself, and it's yeah you know, been great. And so what I think what really helped the podcast is, right, many people who start a podcast, one, you have no sponsor, you have no audience, and you honest, often don't have good equipment. Not exactly, you're not batting a thousand there, right? You got three strikes <laughs> against like you to start. our first podcast. You're yeah, definitely. Exactly what our podcast is. <laughs> you're not. How to start somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you do have to start somewhere, but that's that's a difficult spot to start and yeah. be successful. It's why most podcasts don't make it past a couple episodes. Right. Right. And so for me, I'd already built a following. I was recognized as a thought leader. I'd done a number of webinars and was building a good brand. And so it just made sense to take advantage of that to build the podcast. It was a natural fit to do that. And it was also in my contract. If I'm honest, Data Rails had to be posted on LinkedIn every week. So that right there, yeah, I would have done it anyway, but obviously that made it a part of that. You know, I've, I've expanded a little beyond LinkedIn, you know, getting ready to do more with my newsletter. I haven't been you know, great there, done a little on YouTube, but I recognize for right now that, you know, LinkedIn is where I have the audience and you only have so much time to spread out. And so for me, that's where I started. But I tell everybody, like a lot of times I'll have people reach out to me that, hey, how do I build an audience? How do I build my own business? And I always tell them a couple things. I'm like, you know, find your voice. What's the platform that works for you? LinkedIn's worked really well for me. Podcasts have worked for me. Could be TikTok for you. It could be used YouTube. It could be a blog. It could be a newsletter. You need to find your, your, your uh, method for your content to go out there. You need to find what you what you're passionate about, and then you need to be consistent because you some of your content's going to bomb. Some's not going to be very good. It's going to take time. You know, I posted for 500 straight days on LinkedIn, and then I I realized I was only continuing to do it every single day so I could keep the streak going, not because I needed to for my business or that it was good for me. And so I said, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I just got to hit it one day. We're like, I'm going to reduce this. If I miss a day, it's not the end of the world. But that consistency, and so that's why I tell people, you have to be consistent. It does need to be good content, but find your voice. There's lots of different methods for growing an audience today. Yeah. That feels very much targeted at individuals, and that's definitely good advice. Would you give the same recommendation to a company? And maybe to extend a bit the question, would you recommend to people and company to hard focus on only one platform, which is what you did only, I think you mentioned Instagram a bit earlier. So there are other channels, but probably much less active. Like, what's the right move? Flooding all the channels as much as possible. Oh, sorry. Flooding all the channels as much as possible or focusing on one and only? That, that's a good question for businesses. I think for a business, you have to know your where your audience is. If your audience is primarily on LinkedIn, then yeah, you probably want to flood LinkedIn. But I would say in general, you need to be more diverse. But you also usually have a team that knows the different platforms, right? You're not a one man, one man, one woman, a one person show. Mm -hmm. There's generally a whole team that has learned these different platforms and understands what works on each of them. And so it's much easier to start on multiple platforms as a company because of the resources you have. As an individual, it's really hard. Now, if you're really good, some have a really good structure to program where they can easily repurpose the content across all those platforms. And if that's what they're able to do and that works for them, great. That's not me. I'll be honest. Most of the time when it comes to LinkedIn, I make up my content the morning of. That's not wow. the ideal way to be a content creator. I'd say 80% of the time I'm figuring it out as I'm doing it. I don't recommend that, but wow. it has worked for me. So you're not scheduling anything, Paul. You're not like, okay, no. I'm going to schedule my post for the next 10 days. Nope. Wow. I've done it a little bit, but rarely ever outside of when I know I have a sponsored post, I know what it'll be that day. Like I know every Tuesday I'm doing FP&A today. Mm -hmm. I know every other Thursday I'm doing Financial Modeler's Corner. 
I know I'll probably have one or two sponsored posts. But outside of that, most mornings I'm waking up and going, okay, what am I going to post about this morning? Better get that figured out. Interesting. And maybe to pick your brain on that. So what are the best days and best moments to publish on LinkedIn when it comes to podcasting? Like, hey, check out this new episode or even a click on the episode. What are the best timings that you've seen? Because maybe FPNA is different than, I don't know, the steel industry or the service I, industry. I haven't found the best time. I'm going to be... Okay. I, I found good content can do well almost any time. What I found, you know, with podcasts, usually what's helped me the most when I've seen big bumps is when other big name influencers share something about the podcast. So uh, Nicholas Boucher, I'll mention the name. He has, you know, 700,000 followers. On yeah, the it's massive. And, you know, he listed the top 10 podcasts that finance people should follow. And it was Financial Modelers Corner and FPA Today were on that list. I had my best Friday I've ever had or best Thursday. For I had something like 700 downloads, which usually on a Friday isn't, you know, isn't normal because it's a few days after release and you see the typical trail down, right? And so it's that makes a bigger difference. And he did he did it on a Thursday or a Friday. And I've had other times where it's been done on another day. So I think more than a day is getting other people that have a big audience that can help you grow, whether that be you know, general or niche. Like I think one of the best ways I've talked to cloud accounting quite a bit or the accounting podcast about how they've grown theirs. And they say, what you want to do is you want to go out there and advertise to people that listen to podcasts. Cause it's much easier to get people to follow another podcast than to start following podcasts altogether. And I'm guessing so, you guys have probably seen something similar. So the, um... The funny anecdote is this post from Nicolas Boucher, somebody from our audience commented corporate treasury one one You don't have quite the same effect as being in the publication itself. But I think the point here is like, if you create amazing content or let's say good content, because we are putting ourselves in these buckets, uh, people will talk about it eventually. And it will just go, that's the best marketing strategy. That's the best way to get viral. Just do good content. Mm -hmm. And people eventually will be like, guys, you need to check out this thing. It's free. It's out there. Just check it out. Learn something. Listen to that big time guest because maybe that's the thing they feel sharing about. Um, but so back to that content strategy of like focusing on something. Publish for 500 days straight if you're as resilient as Paul. Mm -hmm. And you'll get better. And you just post amazing content. And someday somebody will just share it and talk about it for you for free because I guess was not a paid collaboration with Nicola no. It's just like, get your content out there and do a great job and um, do a pro, pro uh, production as much as possible. And it will get there. 100% agree. And I mean, I'll share one other example just yesterday, and I still haven't been able to figure out what it was. I've seen one post about it, but it didn't, it wasn't big enough to drive what I saw. I saw a big bump in download yesterday. Highest Monday I've ever had okay. that, I, that I know of. And so I know somebody somewhere <laughs> i just don't know what because i know i wouldn't naturally get those numbers without somebody promoting the show so whoever it was thank you i have no idea who it was <laughs> but i could tell it made a difference right and so they valued the content yeah did we say to anybody that paul was coming on the show maybe that's uh oh, maybe that's what I, created that was that. probably yeah, <laughs> sure that was it <laughs> they heard i was going to be on your show and they're like well let's go listen to what he has exactly <laughs> I want to come back to the question I asked, though, because I think it's a little bit of a more of a nuanced answer I was looking for. The relationship between podcasting and LinkedIn. 
or the relationship between podcasting and social media platforms in total. Do you think that's necessary? And what's the best way to promote your podcast on social media? I, I don't. So I think you should be doing it. Do I think it's absolutely necessary? No. What I mean by that is if you have a really big blog or you have a really big community, you can be successful, but you need a place for your voice to be heard. Whether if I had a newsletter of a hundred thousand, I don't need social media to build the podcast. Should I also be using social media? Yes. I think they go hand in hand. I think it's a natural fit, whether you're sharing it on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever, because you can reach a huge audience by sharing it that way. So I would encourage anyone who's launching a podcast to also have a social media strategy. So yes, I think there's definitely a tight connection, but do I think it's absolutely necessary to be successful? No. At the same time, I would encourage anyone to have that with whatever other ways they have to distribute it because they built a community outside of the traditional social media channels. But marketing it on some platform is not as someone yeah, so, no, versus no, just nobody's going to go Apple. viral by just releasing episodes and hoping that it's great right. content and everybody listens right. unless you're a big name right if i'm arnold schwarzenegger and i launch a podcast tomorrow i probably don't gonna need to do a whole lot to get <laughs> 10 15 000 listeners as long as i'm as long as it's interesting yeah. right good. he has the audience and it would have been marketed either mm -hmm. by him or someone else either way right so definitely what I mean is like, so some people think, hey, I'm just going to start publishing on uh, Apple and Spotify and their algorithms are what are going to boost me no. to the top of the charts. But in reality, it's the ecosystem that you create around the podcast. It's Correct. Yes, I agree with website, you. it's your blog post, it's mm -hmm. your LinkedIn. And what we always advocate for with podcasting and why companies should have podcasting in general is one podcast turns into X number of content pieces. We always say 10. So we say you can take one content piece from your podcast and you can convert that to nine other formats, whether that's blog posts, email newsletters, different social media posts, etc. Um, and then indeed that's where you market for your podcast itself for the longer form co content. But you gotta meet your audience where they are. That's a little bit the direction here, right? Yeah, you do. You need to right. If I'm trying to attract a professional business audience and I'm always out on TikTok. Probably not the best platform to start with. Now, can it be done? Sure. Look at, if you've heard of Miss Excel, she no, builds a business where, so she dances. I've heard, I have heard of Miss Excel. And does Excel training on TikTok. I'm a bit afraid. She did 100,000 in revenue in one day. I of course, off an Excel course. Yeah, I saw this. Off her Excel course. Yeah, I saw this. Right. So it can be done, but as a general rule for the majority of us, that's probably not the right platform. So there is sometimes <laughs> understanding which platform may make the most sense for your content and your audience. Because you oh do need God. to go to your audience. Oh my God. Almost a million followers on TikTok. And it's like her and some Excel modeling behind it. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So your audience might be everywhere. If you serve them with the right formats, you will eventually get somewhere, I guess. I think so. You can, I, I've toyed with doing some things on TikTok. Oh, There's actually some spoofs around that video. I've just never had time yeah. around some of the stuff she's done with the FP&A guy branding, which was one of the best things I did was brand myself as the mm -hmm. FP&A guy. That's how people know me. They recognize me that way. Are you dancing, Paul, on the, the TikTok <laughs> video that uh, you've done? I want to see that. 
Uh, no, nothing on there. Am I dancing? If I did this one, I, there may be a little bit of dancing, but it wouldn't. I want. Hey, but you it would be uh, more of a spoof. So we'll see if I do it. But it is on my uh, list of fun things to do when I, you know, have nothing to do. Which <laughs> never happens. Go figure. Yeah, exactly. You have a few. You have a few hundreds of views on most of the videos there. It's uh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah, I, I post the promotional clips and whatever out there. I'm, I don't have it. There's no deliberate strategy for TikTok. It's just, mm -hmm. hey, it's already made. I might as well put it out there. I might as well throw it out on YouTube. All right. If I get some viewers, great. Like you said, repurpose the content, right? Use it across multiple channels. That's, that's why I throw something Maybe. out on Instagram and TikTok every week. It's why I'm rebranding my newsletter and doubling down on that. You just different ways to reach your audience. Amazing. Paul? We definitely appreciate the conversation. Learned a lot. Amazing. If anything, we use this more as a masterclass for us to learn. <laughs> uh, so very much appreciate it and appreciate a lot to you, the work you're doing. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you guys today. And I love that you're doing this podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows for you guys. It's a it's a fun subject. So uh, podcast, so cool. the podcast podcast, as <laughs> exactly to us last week. <laughs> we should have called it the podcast podcast, but it's the story. So I appreciate it. You always could change the name. That can be done. Can be done. Eventually. Yeah, we'll think about it. Indeed. Thank you, Paul. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the B2B Podcast Stories. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please don't forget to hit subscribe and check us out at jhamarketing.com. Have a great day.